Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, church. So this morning, we're going to continue our series, Culture Wins, and we have just, uh, I think, just two weeks left of this series, and uh, today I'm going to, we're going to talk about what I think is probably one of the most, I want to say controversial, but I don't think that's the right word. I think we'll just go with difficult things to talk about in church, and that's giving. Did you hear it? We stiffened up. We stiffened up, cramps and all, right? No, I, I think giving is one of the hardest things to talk about in church. And, and um, I want to preface this morning with a couple things here. This sermon is not going to only be about money. So you're safe, right? You're, you're okay. And I think it's interesting to talk about giving uh, with someone here this morning who has given a ton. I mean, Homer has given probably countless hours, thousands of hours to the church and money and energy and effort and, and wisdom and, and influence. And so it's interesting. Uh, I did not know that was going to ha- be how this was going to work out, but I think that's amazing. And secondly, I will say this morning that I'm not going to tell you that you have to give 10%. So if you come to church and you're used to that language and whatnot, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not going to tell you you have to give 10%. So for some of you, you're like, that's awesome. I was hoping you would say that. Others of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's okay. Hopefully by the end of this sermon, we'll all have learned and, and grown and, and, uh, and just really grown in our faith this morning. And so um, I do, I want to just begin with a word of prayer, if we can. Jesus, we just put this moment in your hands and trust that you're going you're gonna to speak, that you're going to move in this moment. God, I pray that you would use this message to challenge our hearts, God, to change our thinking as we think about what it means to give in church. Um, God, open up our our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see what your your truth is and what you would uh, want us to see this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To kind of set it up, I need a couple volunteers. I need two volunteers. Anybody willing to volunteer? I, you, you get a prize, and you have to do very little. All right, he, he was eager. No, we're gonna, we need an adult, an, an adult, someone who's willing to come up here. And, again, you don't have to do much, and you get a prize. Mark. All right. So let me, as they're coming up, let me, let me set it up. How many of you like sports? Specifically team sports, like things where you have to play with a team. I I feel like um, as I've gotten older, uh, I've kind of transferred from team sports to individual sports. Uh, I play golf now, and I played tennis late in high school. And those are sports that ultimately you're playing against yourself and that silly white ball. You know, that is all you. But team sports uh, or team games, how, how many of you like team games like, like Euchre or charades and things like that where you have to, see those are all things where you have to rely on someone else. 
You cannot do it yourself. And, and specifically, football, we, we, a lot of, most of us, I won't say all of us, but a majority of us really do like football, and so we're going to use that as our example today. And we've got two coaches here. We've got Mark representing the Colts, that's perfect, and Team Nike over here. We probably won't say that. We'll say Team something else. What, what, what do you want to be? Uh, team, I don't know. Perfect. Coach, I don't know, and coach for the Colts. So the Colts play today? So they lose today then, right? Who do they play? Who do they play? Does anybody know? Buffalo. All right, you're Buffalo. So you're going to pick your team here. We're going to play a little game here. They're going to pick three. All right, all right, all right. You got three, right? Just three? Uh, we'll, we'll make it four. Pick four. It's still going gonna, gonna to matter. The illustration is still going to work. All right. So let's see. This is Coach Mark, and he has picked his team. Who do you have? Let's see. Oh, goodness. Oh, you have five. Oh, my gosh. Cheater. Defensive end, tight end, quarterback, and offensive All right. Line. So he has his team has a defensive end, a tight end, a quarterback, and an offensive lineman. That's all he's got. That's who he gets. He's going to go out. They're going to send those guys out. Some of those guys, I think, are going to have to play both ways. Some of them maybe going to have to play defense. Maybe they got a lot of big guys, so you got you got protection for your quarterback. But you're probably going to have to. He's going to have to run the ball himself, and I don't know who he's going to throw to because none of maybe a tight end. Yeah, he might. Hopefully, he's a good tight end and can catch, unlike the one on my fantasy football team. All right, who do you have? Hunter. Oh my. You did not pick a good team. So he's got two wide receivers, a punter. Hopefully he's like a punter that can throw the ball or just kicks really good and just can kick it to him, and a running back. You have nobody to play defense, so you're in big trouble. And, well, I mean, no quarterback. I really don't know what to tell you. So how many of you would buy tickets to go see this game? Out of, maybe just out of pure, like curiosity, right? I mean, other than curiosity and like, I just want to see this mess, none of us are going to pay money to go and watch three, four people play against each other in a sport that requires how many men on the field? 11? Is it 11 on each side? I mean, 22 people on the field, we're going to go watch eight play this game. All right, give my volunteers a hand. Since Caden volunteered first, you get a pick. Oh, your mom wanted this, so I don't know. You're going to be in trouble. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Again, none of us in our right minds are going to be like, yeah, that's going to be a great day. Let's get tickets. We're going to go watch four players from the Colts play four players from Buffalo. I mean, it's going to be a sad game anyways with all the players there, but with only four of them, it's really not a good day. In team sports, if you will, uh, team activities, games like this, there is a thing called partnership, teamwork. To use the old cheesy quote, teamwork makes the dream work, right? They, we have to have other people to play these games. Four people can't go out and do it all alone, and when they do, it is just ridiculous, isn't it? That would just be absurd. It would be a waste of our time and money if we bought tickets to such an event. Well, see, I think much like football or basketball or hockey or uh, playing euchre or charades or even your work, perhaps this is true of your work environment, 
Um, I think church is a place where we need partnership. Partnership is important. Teamwork is critical to accomplishing the mission of Jesus to reach people. We partner together. And so this morning, we're going to continue with the Culture Win series and talk about the core value of giving. And the core value is this, giving equals partnership. See, we believe at Muncie First Church that when we come together through the principle of, and the practice of giving, we are partnering with one another to reach lost people. We're partnering together to reach those outside of this faith community. And not only do we believe that giving is, equals partnership, we believe that giving is a part of our process as becoming a disciple of Jesus. Becoming and being a disciple. And so, see, because giving, giving is more than money. It's more than money. It's more than a ritual. It's more than just this ancient practice that we do. It's more than giving to get. You ever heard that? Well, I give, I give so that God will give back to me, right? Or, and it's more than keeping the lights on around here, which if all of you quit giving, eventually the lights would go out, right? I mean, eventually. But it's more than that. It's more than even providing for the ministries of Muncie First Church. It's more than that. It is a part of our journey with Jesus it's a part of our process of becoming and being a disciple of Jesus. And I, I feel like when I say that, it doesn't really carry the weight that it should. But that is huge. We cannot say, I'm a disciple of Jesus and not give. And I'll hopefully show you that through this time together. If we think, let me, let me share a little sobering statistic with you this morning. If we think of the church as a team... Uh, and, and I think that we, we should think of it that way, that we are all a team playing a, a, a very serious game together, um, trying to reach the world. Typically, only 20% of the team actually partners together. That's a, that's a statistic that is, is, is across the board in a small church, medium-sized church, or large churches. Typically, only about 20% of the church participates in some way of, of giving, uh, volunteering, or serving. That's, that's across the board. Muncie First Church, we are a little bit better than average. I did some, some statistics and, and looked at our numbers. We're at 23%. I know it's a big jump, right? We sit right at about 23% of the a average attendance serve, give, or volunteer in some way. Now, See, I think the sad truth is that so oftentimes there are people sitting in the bleachers watching other people play the game. They come each week and they sit in the bleachers and they are completely content with watching someone else out on the field do all the work, the 20%, if you will. In fact, the reason I had them tried to get them to only pick three cards, somebody cheated, was because on an 11-man you know, offense or defense of a football game, uh, uh, rounding up three is 20%. You'd only have three players on your team. And so, in essence, if we look at ourselves like a football team, we've only got three people out there playing. And we need to adjust that. See, so often, 
It's the people who sit in the stands that look down and they watch the other people playing and they shout and they say, oh man, I could, have you ever done this? I could do it better. If I've said that once watching, I mean, I could have thrown that interception, right? You know, I could have made that shot. I probably couldn't have. I probably would have been destroyed. But we love to coach or to play from the bleachers. We shout and we say, oh, I would have done it better or I wouldn't have done it that way. Or why are they doing it like that? I mean, what's wrong with Pastor? He, has he lost it? Is he crazy? I mean, why, is he, why, did, why, did we, why did the board vote for that? And we love to do this from the bleachers, but we so rarely get in the game. We rarely get in the game. And I want to talk about that this morning as it relates to giving, because I think Jesus has something to say about that. And it's, if you would, turn with me to Matthew. Matthew uh, chapter 25. So Matthew documents this story that Jesus told. Jesus told a parable, which is just basically a made-up story. Maybe you had somebody in your family that used to make up stories. You know, everybody's got one, right? The, that uncle that used to tell all the crazy stories. And, and so essentially, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. It's not a crazy story. It's a made-up story that Jesus used to prove a point. And I think it illustrates for us the relationship that should exist between God, us, and our giving. Giving as it relates to our money, our resources, our time, and even our talents. And it's a, it's a pretty uh, common story. If you've been in church for any length of time, you may be familiar with the story, the parable of the talents. Now, when Jesus uses the word talent here, it's not like your piano playing skills or lack thereof, or your guitar playing skills, or your singing skills. It was a, 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 a unit of money, or an a, a, a amount of money. And so, keep that in mind as we read this. Verse, starting with verse 14, it says this, Again, it, it being the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Now, just for clarification, he does not give them all of his wealth. It's not like they come to him and he divides up everything he has among these three people. He gives them a portion. And the key verse that we need to see here is he says that he gave each according to his ability, not his personal ability, but their ability. And I think that it's, it's interesting to think of this, that he gave them in, in measure that he felt like they could handle, that they would be able to be responsible for. And you notice it's different amounts, which makes me kind of wonder, like, you know, Parents, maybe, you know, you know that, like, if you let one child do certain things, well, you can trust that one. But then there's that other child, and you're like, if I let them do that, uh, the house might be burnt down, you know, right? And, and maybe that was just my sister and I. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think this is true maybe even in your workplace. You're like, well, I know I can trust this employee, but this one, they, they've not really, they've, they've got this much trust, but not, not as much as the others. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here. And then it goes on. It says this, then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five or gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. 
But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now I want to stop for a second. When the master comes back, he returns and, he's, and he comes to settle accounts with the servants. He's coming to see, hey, how did you guys do? You know, there's been some time. You've, I've given you the money. I've given you my, part of my wealth. I want to see how are you doing with handling what I have entrusted to you. And he sees that they have, two of them have done a great job. They have been responsible. They have been trustworthy with what he has given them. And so he says, like any good boss would do or any good leader or any good, even good parent would say, hey, you know what? You've been, you've been faithful with a few things. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to entrust to you more. And see, I think that when we are faithful with the few things that God has given us, he recognizes that and says, I will entrust you with a few more. I will entrust you with more. And so let me ask you, God gave you the job that you have. Think about that. I, I feel like we don't think about that very often. Like in our culture, we think, I earned that job. That's what culture says. That, that's my job because I went to school. I did this. I did that. I worked hard. No, no. God gave you that job. Yes, you worked. Yes, you were a steward of what God had gave you. But God gave you that job. Have you been faithful with the money that you've made? the influence that you have there. God gave you your kids. Have you been faithful with them? I don't mean like you're good to them, although that's probably a good portion of this. But have you been faithful in raising them to love Jesus, to serve others, to be a part of the church and faith community? What about in your marriage? And I don't mean, again, I don't mean necessarily have you been faithful to your spouse in, in the sense that we usually think of in that, although that does apply. But have you been faithful in loving them the way Jesus loves them? Have you been faithful in serving them? I mean, on our wedding day, you know, we stand up and, and say that we'll be faithful to serve you and love you, you know, above all else, above, above anyone else. But ha have we? Are we always faithful in that? What about the leadership that God has given us? There, I know there are some of you in the room right now that have great leadership in your work and in the community and in different committees and places even here at church. You have leadership and influence. Have you been faithful with that? What about the opportunities that you have to serve in the community? What about with your time? Now this is one where I have to ask for forgiveness because I, I don't know that I'm always faithful and a good steward of my time. 
What about our resources? How are we doing as it relates to being faithful to these things? So this is what happens when, we, when we're not faithful. This is what happens to the man who was not faithful. Pick up the passage. It says, Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. See, the last servant, he, he's not faithful with what the, what the master had given him. He's not faithful with it at all. And the interesting thing is, is instead of coming and saying, hey, I, I just was a bad steward, or, or, or I, I did this out of an unhealthy fear, I, hid, I was afraid of you, so I hid your money, and now here you go, you can have it back. Instead of just being honest in the situation, what does he do? He begins to blame the master, like this is your fault, actually. I know you don't realize that, but if you were not such a hard man... I would have been a better steward of what you had given me. Now, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but does that not sound somewhat familiar in our society right now? Don't we love to blame other people for, what, for, for us not taking care of what's been given to us or, or for, for not fulfilling what we were supposed to do or for, for our own actions? We like to say, well, siblings, it was my sister's fault. If I have heard that once in my house. We, we have a thing. I, I am a person who cannot stand clutter. I, it drives me insane. And there's like, if I see something around our house on the floor for too long, I assume it's trash. And that could be anything. Toys, shoes, clothes, I don't care. I just assume it's trash. And so I have a habit of throwing things away that I'm not supposed to throw away. So I tell the girls... You need to, if that's still here by bedtime, it's mine. And Jocelyn, without fail, and she'd probably be mad if she knew I was telling the story, will say, it's Lila's. Like, you mean all of this stuff, that, like this explosion is all Lila's. So when you guys were playing together, you went in her room, got her toys out, said, no, you can't play with my toys because we're going to keep mine up and safe away from dad. We're going to get yours and bring them out here. Every time, without fail. I'm like, wait a second. This cannot always be Lila's fault. We'll give her at least 50%. But there's another 50 here. It could be, could be your fault, maybe. But don't we do that, church? Are we willing to admit that? It's so much easier to say, no, it was their fault. And that's what the servant does here. He's trying to push blame off on someone else. And this is what happens. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and thrown, or sorry, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I believe, and this is kind of my opinion, but I think that the text kind of speaks to this, that Jesus tells us this story 
to illustrate a point that the kingdom of heaven and ultimately this life here on earth is a place where we have been given much. All of us have been given something. And there is an expectation that we are going to do something with what we have been given. And note, it's not just to fulfill our own needs and wants. We, there's an expectation that we're going to do something with what we have for somebody else. For a greater good or a greater cause. See, like the servants in this story, we have all been given talents. And I mean that in the sense that you have talents like guitar playing skills, piano, basketball. I mean it in that sense. We've all been given talents. Even if you don't think that you have a talent, I guarantee you have a talent. There's something that you are good at. You have resources, you have time, energy, relationships, influence, connections, even money. You have all these different things that God has given you, and there is an expectation that you're going to put it to use for the kingdom of God, to reach people beyond these walls. So does that mean that we we give 10%? I don't know. I don't know. It might mean that you give 10%. It might mean that you give 15% or 20%. I think that you should give. And I think the reason oftentimes that we pick 10% is because it's just an easy kind of measure. And and where do we get that from? Well, the idea of, we've used this language, tithe. We say we're going to receive our tithes and our offerings. Well, tithe means a tenth. And so it's a good kind of place to start, I think. It's a good measure, and it goes all the way back in Scripture. We see this all the way back even before Abraham, that, some, that, that people were coming to God and giving a portion of what they had been given by God back to Him. And oftentimes it was typically some sort of 10% or tithe or some sort of percentage. And so I believe that we should give a percentage of what God has given to us. But for our purposes, here's what I think that we need to understand. In the the economy of Jesus, the most important value is not the percentage, but to simply be a giver. To give. Because here's the the big thing. If If you don't get anything else, at least get this. God gave. God gave. When He gave Jesus... And then Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus gave up his life for us. He didn't give 10%. In fact, I'm not sure that, I mean, specifically uh, that you could find an example of where Jesus is giving 10%. He is always giving all. 100%. And because of that, we should give. Let me, let, me, let me give you another example. Let me show you. This is something that's just rocking my world right now, and I'm sure I'm overselling it, and it's way more exciting to me because God's using it to speak to me. I, I doubt you'll, you'll gasp or, or jump and cheer or anything like that, but that's how I feel inside every time I've re- read this lately. Look with me at John 13. When Jesus nears the end of his life, he, he, uh, at least his time here on earth with the disciples. He's, he's about to be crucified and he, he, he knows this and he comes and he sits down with the disciples in this gathering and he begins to predict his death and predict that he's going to be betrayed. And he says this in John 13, verse 34 and 35. It says, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Keep that up for a second. They did not need a new command. Think about it. They had the Ten Commandments. The Jewish Scriptures from Moses gave them the Ten Commandments. Plus, they had 603 other laws that were given to the Law and the Prophets and all of that. They didn't... They didn't need another command. I mean, if your parents came to you and said, here, I need you to do these 10 things plus these 603. If they said one more thing, you'd probably lose all control, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be like, I can't do anymore. I, I, that's it. I, I, my max, at, max is 613. 614, I'm going to lose it. And, and so he comes, but then, but Jesus, when he come on the scene, he, he took all the Ten Commandments and began to talk them out. And he says, hey, you know, you've heard it said this way, I say it this way. And then he kind of narrows it down to this one central thing where he says, hey, love God and love your neighbor. But then he even goes further, right? Like, he's like, I know they're not getting this. If I, if I give them two things, they're going to fail. I better just narrow it down to one. And he says this. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. People forever and ever would be identified with Jesus as one of his disciples simply by their love. By the fact that they loved others. This is huge. I mean, this is life-changing for, for us and for, and for the disciples. Because how did he love them? He gave. He gave his life up on a Roman cross where he was taken and he was beaten and whipped and spit on. And then he was nailed to a cross where he hung there suffocating, bleeding and dying. And then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Think about that. He didn't even have his own grave they borrowed it from someone else. Which is interesting because he didn't need it very long. Amen? He only needed a borrowed tomb, right? <laughs> Changes things when you think about it that way. And three days later, he said, I'm done with the tomb. Thanks for the rental. I'm out. And he got out. So what does this have to do with us? What does this mean for our giving? What is, how does this affect us in any way, shape, or form? Well, see, I think that it means that we should give. I think because Jesus gave, we should give. And when we give, we are ultimately loving people as He called us to do. Let me give you four very practical, kind of easy uh, ways to kind of uh, unpack this. And, 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 and ultimately, I think it all boils down to this right here. The most compelling reason that we have to give is that love requires us to give. In order to love people like Jesus loves them, we must give. Love requires us to give. And so it, it's, how we, it's how we love people and how we, how we give that we will be identified with Jesus as a disciple, as a follower. And so what does that look like, practically speaking? Well, the first thing is this. I think that you should get into a small group. And you should join a small group. Now, I feel like we've said this a lot. You're probably getting tired of this, and some of you are in small groups. But why join a small group? Not so that you can go and learn a bunch of stuff. Not so that you can go and, and have some friends, which I think you'll get both of those things. 
I think you'll grow with, in relationships and connections with people, and I think that you'll also um, you'll, you'll learn a lot. You'll grow spiritually. But go to give. Go to give. Go with the mindset of what can I pour out of me into these people that I'm going to gather with in this small group. See, that changes small group if, or, or Sunday school. If you think about it in the context of, oh, man, I just got to go. It's annoying. It's 9 o'clock. I'd rather go at 10.15, you know. They're not going to start the service at 10.15 anyway, so I can roll in five minutes late. You know, no one will know. You know, I mean, it's like, no, don't go just to get. Go to pour out what God is doing in your life into the other people that are there. Allow God to use you in that moment. Second thing is that you should serve. One of the ways that we love people through our giving is that we serve. We serve other people. And this could be with the projects that Al's doing and, the, and that we do as a result of Al here at our church and, and the connection that we have there. But it could be other things. It could be, be as a greeter. It could be in the children's ministry or nursery. Or it could be in the, with the youth team or the worship team or some other aspect um, you know, serving coffee or, or setting up and tearing down or maybe coming in and helping do some extra cleaning and, and when we have work days coming and being a part of those things. But I think that you should serve because, and, and not just here, but in the community as well because when you do, you are giving and loving people. It's really hard to serve and not give at the same time. I, I don't, in fact, I'm not sure that you, I'm not sure it's possible because you're giving of your time. You're giving of your energy. You're giving of you in that moment. And if you figure out a way to do that and not give, let me know. I'm, I'm just curious. I, I would love to see how that works. Now, I want to share just quickly a story, and they have no idea I'm going to do this. And, and in fact, I, just so they don't get mad at me, I'm going to leave their names out. But we have a couple here who gave in a big way over the last two or three weeks. And nobody knows because probably no one even really thought of this or even knew about it. But we had an office in the building that was just, it was like a monster that was growing, if you will. It was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger with out of control. It was like hoarders buried alive and worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could have had a special here. And there was a couple who came in, and, and, and I don't know what prompted this or how this ended up coming out to be, but they began to clean that, and they began to move stuff out. And the other day they were in here, and I had joked, and I said, man, are, are you, not, not like meaning, could you hurry up? You know, I said, are you ever going to get that done? Because I thought, good grief. I mean, no, it'll be a lifetime before they get that finished because it was such a mess. And, and this person goes, oh, you haven't seen it? And they opened the door, and it was spotless. I mean, not a speck of anything in there. I'm like, it's a Christmas miracle. Like, how did this happen? Like, I don't know how you did it. I can't believe you did it. They served. They gave. They were here one night after church on a Wednesday night till like way past 10 o'clock. I asked them how late they stayed. They wouldn't even tell me. I think because they probably forgot in all the delirium of, you know, cleaning it up and whatnot. But they served. Third thing. Is that you give of your gifts and your talents. Use your gifts and talents. We all have something that God has uniquely given us, whether it be a special talent or some sort of influence or some sort of skill that maybe someone else doesn't have, and we should use those things. 
Not just to grow our own, you know, our own gain or whatever, but, but as, as kingdom work. To grow the kingdom, to reach people. And then lastly, you give of your resources and your money. And I think this is key because I do think that we should give of what God has given us. In fact, I believe that love requires us to give of our money and that giving to the church is the greatest investment you could ever make with your money. Because I don't know whether you realize this or not, but this is the hope of the world. I know it's Jesus, but it's Jesus through us is the hope of the world. This is it. Ragtag bunch of people, right? Are you sure, Jesus, that you want to leave it in our hands? But he did. This is it. This is the hope of the world to reach people who are lost and don't know Jesus. And all the other gatherings that are taking place this morning throughout the community and throughout our world and that will take place tonight and took place last night. We, the church, are the hope of this world. And we need to give of everything that we have to reach those who don't know Jesus. Let me ask it maybe like this and kind of close with some thoughts here. Do you know why Christians should be generous with their money and with their time and all that? Why they should give? Because people are in need. You know, you know why I think that you should partnership with Muncie, you come in partnership with Muncie First Church through your giving, whether it be through your money through your time, through your energy, through the resources or talents or whatever that God has given you is because there are teenagers and children that need to know Jesus, that are lost. They come from families who don't know anything about Jesus. They, they live in homes and deal with things that we can't even hardly imagine. And yet, they are dealing with it. They're trying to make it through. And yet they need to know Jesus. Because there are marriages, even in this community right here probably, that are struggling. Spouses that walk past each other like roommates and they don't really talk and they don't really connect with each other. And there are marriages in our community that are broken and torn up and there are kids in the middle of it. And they need Jesus. They need the love of Jesus. There are addicts who need Jesus because the power of God, the power of Jesus can change all of that. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that, that Jesus changes people's lives? If we believe that, then we must give. And again, it's not just about your money. That's great. And I think a lot of times we, get, we give ourselves a free pass because we're like, well, I wrote a check, but I don't want to actually go and serve. Do both. Do both. See, when we give, we are partnering together with one another as disciples of Jesus, equipped to go into the world and, and change things, to equip children and teens so that when they go to their schools, they can love people. They'll love their friends and tell them about Jesus. My daughter Lila came to me this week and she was really excited and she said, and I can't remember her little friend's name, but she said, I was talking to one of my friends this week and I said, 
I asked her if she believed in Jesus because we've invited her to VBS and different things and she always isn't able to come. And, but she says, do you believe in Jesus? And the friend said, yeah, yeah, I do. I think I do. I'm like, how amazing is that? She's seven years old and she's worried about whether her little friend believes in Jesus. How different would our lives be if we all started out at seven years old thinking that way? How, much, how many more people would be souls won for heaven if, if that's where we were? See, friends, the reason we should give is to equip children and youth to feed the hungry and the needy, to love the lost, the hurting, the broken, and the addicted. See, you are partnering to fulfill the mission of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What did He command them? A new command I give you. Love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let's make a commitment, church, to just simply do whatever love requires us to do. Maybe that's to give. Maybe it's to serve. Maybe it's to pray for somebody. Maybe it's to just be there and listen and not say a word. Sometimes that's the best thing we can do is just be there for someone and not say anything. May we make a commitment to be disciples who are actively going out and giving and loving people. If you would, stand with me. We're going to just close this morning. Do you have a song for us? Nathan's going to just lead us in a song. And I, and I, don't, I don't feel any like, sense that we necessarily need to pray, but maybe you do need to pray. Maybe there's someone right now that you need to pray because for them because God has prompted you to give in some way on their behalf and you have been reluctant to do so. Maybe it's to serve them or maybe it's to, to go come alongside them and help them through, through a situation. Or maybe you've just been reluctant to give and serve here at church. You're like, well, they don't really need me. I mean, they've got so many other people or, or maybe you haven't given ever given financially and you're like, you know, that's just not something I'm really down with. I don't... You know, I don't know that I trust the church and, and, and whatnot. And, and maybe you need to come and you need to just pray about that and, and allow God to kind of work on your heart in that situation. Whatever it may be, I want to just leave this moment to you to kind of allow God to speak. But I want to challenge you. May we be a generous church in everything that we do. Everything that we give. And may we always just simply do whatever love requires us to do in any situation. Amen. Let's sing.
up the cost and we realize that he is worth it. Amen. Church, we don't give out of guilt. I don't even think we give because we have to. In the sense that like someone is like forcing us. We give because love requires us to. Love requires us to give. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to to get our hearts and our minds around this idea of the importance of giving. Why do we give? What's the point? Help us to realize that we're giving because you have given all. And we believe that in giving out of what you've given us, God, you, you, you multiply your kingdom. You, you change lives. You you heal people. You, you save people, Lord. God, help us to do whatever love requires of us. As we go into our week, as we, God, as we, as we parent our children, as we love our spouse, as we love the person that sits next to us at work or 
is driving in front of us on I-69 or whatever it is, God, help us in every situation to just do what love requires. Your love requires. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church, for being here. Have a great week. Don't forget to get your kids.